What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I'm Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for Noel.com and The Advocate. Here today, Tuesday afternoon, a few days after the All-Star break, a few days before the uh, the madness, the million games in a million and one days starts again. Uh, and here today with a special guest, Jason Maples. Jason, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, man. You don't, don't got to call me a special guest, man. I just like talking basketball, man. Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I've uh, I, I've really started following your stuff this year. Um, you do the Temple of Hoop podcast. Um, I've caught you know probably a dozen of those episodes. Um, really enjoy them. I think you know what I like about you is like just uh, a, a love for the game really comes through. I feel like I feel like a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people who cover the NBA who love the game, but I don't know, maybe not like as many as you think. There's not just like. A love of basketball. Like I think a lot of people love the other stuff around the NBA. I agree a hundred percent. That's you know that's one of my main complaints with the, with the media around the game. Like my biggest thing is that I heard somebody say this: we don't love the game as much as we love our opinions about the game. And I think that needs to to change a little bit, just for the sake of you know growing the the product. I think you do a great job of you know of do of do of loving the game and you know adapting new information. So we just we need more like you, just to be honest. Yeah, man, I feel uh, I, I feel like kind of weird because I I really like just watching like regular season NBA games like that that does it for me. I feel like uh, you know like the way to have a, a long career and like media is to you know get good at, at breaking news and like all that, that type of stuff. Yeah. But it's not really uh, <laughs> I don't know my like kind of avenue right now is like I'm just gonna really care about like the games you know even if it's like uh, Pelicans Grizzlies at like the middle of December or anything like that. But I, mean, I wanted to ask you today, hit some Ball brother stuff. Um, we're going to talk plenty of Pelicans, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Lonzo Ball. Uh, but I wanted to ask you this first. Um, the Elam ending, uh, the All-Star game ended on Dame Lillard's shot just inside half court. Are you uh, are you pro Elam ending, anti-agnostic? Where are you on that? I love the Elam ending. I think it gives you know, the game, uh, a definite, you know, stop point, And it makes it more competitive in my opinion. So you're not just playing the timeout. So as long as you got it, it's like, okay, we're only down 10. There's a target store. We can still get back. There's no time limit to get back in this. Uh, I think when the game's not competitive, like the last one, it might look a little wonky, but you know, last year's all-star game was great because of the Elam ending. So I'm looking forward to more like that. So I love the Elam ending. I'm I'm a hundred percent in on the Elam ending, man. I I yeah, said this yeah. before the All Star game last year. Like people are like, oh, it's complicated. Like you got to add twenty four, and there's a target <laughs> score. It's like it's not really complicated. Like That's it's right. just the Math. way you play basketball <laughs> in like grade school. Like you just play yep. to a score. I mean, there's not. Yep. It's not that hard to figure out to me. And I think it would do a lot to solve like the ending of the games taking um, ten years, basically. Like I think. It just adds like we're we're building towards something, and you could really cut out a lot of the uh, the unnecessary stoppage. And if every game just ended on a, a game winner, like I think right, that's just fun, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fun. It's just fun, man. I mean, last year was great. It was like this this year was not even close, but the ending of the game was still fun. Uh, I thought. Yeah, this was uh, this was weird because. I think KD picked his teammates to be loyal, so that kind of made the teams. <laughs> he took, you know, James and Kyrie first, and I let LeBron get Giannis and Steph on the same team. And then he went with a big, and then LeBron was able to get Dame on top of that, and that just made it an all-star setting. That's kind of unfair. 
Yeah, uh, GMKD. I, I don't think he did uh, the best job. They needed they needed some playmakers, man. Like you got to have in the All Star game, you got to have the right balance of like guys who look to set others up and guys who are finishers. Like Team KD could have used a, a couple of more guys who are, who are looking for their teammates. Maybe there's a lot of yeah, scores. I think, yeah, I think Giannis is always going to be unfair because the defense in the All Star game is nobody's yeah. going to contest him in All Star game. You're not going to get try to get posterized in All Star game. So. Like he was like sixteen for sixteen at one point. That's just how it is in an All Star game for him going forward. Uh, yeah, man. It was uh, a lot of those. I mean, a lot of those Giannis buckets. Like, I, I get why he was the MVP. I, I don't <laughs> right. know. I might have. I might have given it to like uh, Steph or Dame, just because I feel like a lot of those Giannis buckets came like you know in the early part of the game where no one was really trying. It's just like okay, I'm just gonna dunk. But whatever, man. Yeah, it's the and then game. the degree, yeah, yeah, the degree of difficulty too. Like the shooting, that second quarter shooting display, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen in an All Star game. That was nuts with Steph and Danger. That was so much fun. They just like okay, you're gonna pull from thirty. I'm gonna pull from forty. I'm gonna pull from forty five. I just go from half court. It was like whatever. That was great to watch, man. That was so much fun. Yeah, Steph was the uh, Steph was the best part of that four and a half, five hours or whatever right. it was between the three point contest and, and the game itself. He, uh, he kind of almost single-handedly made, made, uh, the night worth watching. I felt like right, it was, right, right. Um, so I wanted to start off to talking a little bit about LaMelo ball. This is something I've seen, uh, you've been on pretty hard, <laughs> pretty hard. Um, I feel like if we were redrafting today, I mean, there's really no question about it that LaMelo ball goes number one. I got to see him in person when the Hornets came to New Orleans and he kind of outplayed older brother. Uh, the Pelicans actually sat older brother down for a couple of games after that. And he's looked really good ever yeah. since then. But um, I mean, LaMelo, I mean, he's made the Hornets. I feel like one of the the most watchable teams in the NBA, like whenever I'm like scrolling around at night and the Pelicans are playing, I'm like, man, I, I gotta, I gotta watch this Hornets game. Like he's just like one of those guys you, you have to watch right now. I feel like. Yeah, just the teams I don't – like I root for the Lakers and the Pelicans, but out of those two teams I don't root for, the Hornets are at the top of the list for the teams I watch. It's just must-see TV. And I've said it for – this is not – like I tell people all the time, this is not hindsight for me. You can check the tweets, check the records. I saw LaMelo play as a freshman in high school in the state championship, get moved up from the eighth grade so he could play with his brothers and be a dominant force from that point on. And I said from the jump, from this draft, like he will be the best player. Uh, don't let the path he took throw you off or make you overthink it. He will be the best player in the draft. He's a freshman in high school. You know, Oak Hill is an NBA factory, right? As a freshman in high school, Chino Hills play Oak Hill in at Oak Hill. He scores 37 as a 14 and a half, 15 year old. You know, that is not natural. And I, it's just those moments like that that show you stuff like, okay, he's got it. The confidence level, the boxy, like being aware of moments. He has, he checks all of those boxes. So for me, he was the no-brainer, number one pick. Um, I've, that being said, I do love I do love Edwards. I think Wise was going to be very good. I just think Lamelo's special, and I think that's the difference. Yeah, no, I mean I think you're right about that, and the confidence level is something you brought up. Yes, it doesn't seem like Lamelo Ball. It's ever occurred to him that he could fail, and I don't know if that's like <laughs> the younger brother thing. Like, I, I think that might be tied to it of, like, he got his butt kicked by his older brothers, you know, probably until a certain point. Um, and then, you know, that just gave him the confidence that, like, oh, I could do anything. You know, I was right. like, I had it the hardest um, out of anybody in this, you know, basketball playing family. I don't know what it is, but, I mean, like, that's that's kind of, you know, one of the main differences between 
Lonzo Lamelo, and I'm not, I'm not like here to like you know say anything bad yeah, about right, Lonzo. Right, like, right. He's played better, but like Lonzo, it's clear like you know his confidence it ebbs and his flows. For Lamelo, I mean, I've only seen it be at like 99 out of 100 <laughs> since he's been in the league. Yeah, I just think uh, just no conscience, and I think you know there, yeah. that's a double edged sword at times. But he seems to be mostly on the good side of it, where he's a uh, never lacking to take grasp of moment, and you want that from a lead guard, right? You want that. It's like, this is where this is never away from me. This is never too big for me. I'm never underwater. And to have that at age 19 is remarkable to me. So I, I'm looking forward to see his growth. I think he's really special. Uh, I got paying on this. I, I saw, me personally, I saw a lot of Penny Hardaway in him. I don't know how old you are, but that's how special I saw him. I kind of got paying for that. But I, I legitimately see that level of production from him, that Penny before he got injured in Orlando, just that playmaking savant, able to score when necessary, uplifting everybody on the floor with his energy and playmaking. Like I see that from Lamelo, And I think like the Hornets are going to be going to be a must see TV. I'm rooting for them to make the playoffs. Like that's how that's how fun Lamelo is. I want them in a playoff series early. Yeah, the uh the penny was a little bit before my time, uh, but yeah. that's an interesting comp. Um I'll I'll have to uh I'll have to think about that a little bit. Um <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the uh that Chino Hills fifteen sixteen team that you just brought up. Um, I actually did a, a story on them a couple of months before the draft. You know, the angle of it kind of was like, hey, there were three guys in this team who were going to be top 10 picks. Um, the other two guys in the starting lineup um, were, were Eli Scott, a kid who's putting up big numbers at Loyola Marymount, and, and then Leangelo Ball. Um, you know, anytime you got the three Ball brothers, Anika Kongwu and, and Eli Scott, that's a, that's a pretty good five. Uh, that, that team went 35-0. and 0. Um, you know, they were ranked by like news, different newspapers and recruiting services, the best team in the nation that year. I mean, how, I mean, you're a Cali guy, how just aware of you were them at that time? I mean, what was the buzz like back then when they were they, putting that season together? That was fun because I'm in Northern California, right? So we don't see Southern California teams until the playoffs, but I do recruit in the high school. So I'm all into the high school scene, whether it be online or watching the local access TV when they're on. So I saw, I caught a couple of games live. I also, um, it's funny, I trained, they played De La Salle in that state championship, and I actually had worked out a kid on that team, Nikhil Peters, a couple of times. Uh, he ended up going to, um, you know, Cal Poly, has on a full ride. So I worked him out a couple of times. So, you know, we had talked about them before, and they were actually in the game at halftime, and I saw that, I was like, Man, it's about to get ugly because you just know that team was just a like powder kick. They were like sleepwalking. They hit the switch. They ended up winning by 25 points. Just, you know, waking up at halftime. But just that that season was crazy, man. They're legitimately one of the greatest California high school teams ever. They, they are there, they were that dominant and that special to watch. So I, I got to see one game live in the NorCal uh, playoffs, and they almost sold out the NBA pavilion in high school, which is unprecedented. They almost sold out the Sacramento Kings. Uh, stadium before they got the new one, of course. But it was just amazing to watch the the vibe and the energy that team had all through California that year. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, from what you know, I've talked to people who are around that team. I talked to uh, Eric Sondheimer, the the high school guy for the LA Times, a little bit, and you know, that's something that always comes up of just like what a show um, that team was. I mean, I mean, they're really good, so obviously that was a big part of it. But like, what else? What else do you think, you know, like really drew people in and, and made them, I guess, captivating? Just the, the type of like you see the passing that, you know, Lonzo puts on display. You see the flair that LaMelo puts on display. Now imagine that, but against high schoolers, right? So you're seeing something 
that you might not see at that level ever again every night. You're seeing the incredible plays, great passing. Like that team would have fast breaks where the ball wouldn't touch the ground like in high school. So like they just, the the way they were able to kick the ball up ahead, you know, they, uh, LaMelo could shoot it. Lonzo could shoot it. They had a whole bunch of guys who could shoot the ball. They pressed and trapped and jumped you all over the place. They played up tempo. They hit a hundred times. hit a hundred a bunch of times that season. It was crazy. Which is like the high school games are in the fifties, sixties, seventies. If it's you know somebody shooting it well that night, but they hit a hundred like a few times that season, which is crazy for eight minute quarters. Like it was so much fun to watch. That's I mean that's just insane. <laughs> I mean to yeah. like to hit a hundred to right. hit a hundred in a high school game is one time, but to do it eighteen times, I mean more than yeah, half sir. your games, right? I mean that's just nuts. Uh, one of the things that that Eric said was, I guess there was a there was a little grumbling maybe of like he said that you know some people um, called it lunch ball like they tried to accuse Cheeto Hills of like playing this gimmicky style. Uh, my counter to that is if you're 35 and 0, like call it right. whatever you want. We're just good. <laughs> but like, right. did you did you sense any of like that that kind of like grumbling or like just any any like hate or anything like that? Well, a lot of it was, I would say, they, there was a little bit of cherry-picking going Even when the game LaMelo scored 92, like, there was cherry-picking going yeah. on. But they just teased, couldn't take advantage of it. Like, that's on the coach and the roster of that team to take advantage of the junk defense they're throwing. A lot of it was they just had a lot of naturally instinctive basketball players. Like you mentioned, all five guys. You know, Leandro even got even guys contributed. used to have five just guys who knew how to play basketball starting, right? So they understand how to run and jump and understand passing angles and where to where – to, uh, where to jump lanes and where to trap guys. And they took advantage of it. They knew how to play basketball. They have five extremely smart basketball players. And they took advantage of it. They were just a, a level above the competition. Yeah, and it, it's crazy to think that, like, you know, if you were watching that team at that time, like, oh, uh, you know, LaMelo's probably got the best odds to, to be the best player of that team out of anybody. I mean, I think yeah, LaVar said it. LeVar, when he was 15, LaVar said it. LaVar said he is going to be the best one. Really? You know? Yeah, LaVar said it. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I think I believe that LaMelo was supposed to be in eighth grade that year. That was Lonzo senior of high school, and they bumped him up a grade, too. So, like, yeah, like I said, LaVar really broke the mold, man. Like, everything, like, honestly, the, this is what kids do in high school. I just, I know being around. So, what, what they do is parents, they'll hold you back in the sixth, seventh, eighth grade to give you a, a leg up on your age grade when you get to high school. Like, nobody tracks you in middle school. So, you do the sixth grade twice. Nobody cares, but you see that the re, you reap that advantage when you get to high school, and you're supposed to be a sophomore, but you're a freshman. You got that extra year. Lavar did the opposite. He's like, nope, I want my boy to play with his brothers. So we're gonna skip the eighth grade, put him in ninth grade as a 13 year old, and he belonged. And like I said, yeah. he's reaping the benefits now. Like nothing is above him right now. It's crazy. Nothing is above him. Yeah, I. I uh... I grew up in Texas, like Texas public schools in Dallas-Fort Worth area, and there was a lot of, uh, you know, parents holding their kids back a grade, uh, yep. either at the start of <laughs> yep. kindergarten or like grade school. So like, you know, by the end of high school, like some of these dudes were turning 19 in the spring. Uh, just, you know, I have a big part of us like athletics, man. Like they wanted their kid to be on the varsity football team, the varsity basketball team. So there's a there's a lot of that. It's, uh, it's pretty lame. So LeVar did the opposite, though. Yeah. Which is, looks like it <laughs> it's paying off. Yeah, I think I think more. I think I, I hope actually. I'm not. Hope, I hope you know you want kids to stay in their grade, but if they do do that, you hope they don't hold back for just to look dominant. You hope that they will push and take the challenge on, right, to show that they belong. 
And you, like I said, LaMelo's reaping the benefits. The one thing I've, about LaMelo, I've said at every level, whether it's been high school playing up or playing in the pro league, Australia, it, he never looked overwhelmed. And to be to have that on your resume at such a young age, that's incredible. And it bodes very well for your development into a potential superstar, which I think LaMelo will be at some point. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think, like, you know, the, like the two knocks on him were – like, is the jump shot going to fall? Is it ever going to fall consistently? And and the defense, I mean, are you surprised at, at how well he's shot the three this year? I mean, I think he's, you know, high 30s, around five attempts per game. Yeah, I think it's even in the 40s since he's been starting. Like, it's been like mid-40s or low 40s since he's been starting. Um, the thing, it hasn't shocked me because no matter what his percentages were, every 80 level, LaMelo, he took shots like he was a 50 percent three-point shooter he took shots like he had Steph Curry's shooting ability right yeah so you put that confidence and then the work he put in uh, I don't know if you know but LeVar put him with an NBA trainer the, the, the four or five months leading up to the draft sent him to live with an NBA trainer live with the NBA trainer in Detroit gave him NBA training much up to the draft so he put work in and you put the work in to match the confidence that obviously does not need to be uh, helped along as we, as we watch, then you start to see these results. And I said, it's scary because he's only going to get better. So body's going to fill out, right? It's going to get more more playing time with NBA players against NBA competition. So the comfort level is going to go up. So that is what is very scary right now. Yeah, I remember I hopped on one of those Zoom calls, like the pre-draft interviews or whatever, and, you know, he mentioned that he was living in, in Michigan. I was like, what? The, like, why the hell is this guy living in Michigan? Uh, but, you know, getting ready for the NBA with the trainer. I forgot uh, the guy's name is Dominic. I forgot the last name, but he was – it was Dominique something. I forgot I should have came prepared with this. But, yeah, it was a guy who lived as an NBA trainer, had worked out a bunch of pro guys, and LaMelo just, like, lived with the guy pretty much and just getting ready for the NBA grind day after day. So, all right, so let's talk about the Pelicans. Um, at let's the do it. <laughs> at the midpoint of the season, uh, 15 and 21, they're tied with the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is uh, not where they wanted to be. Uh, the three games back of the Grizzlies, even though the Pelicans have been, you know, pretty pretty healthy uh, first half of the season, the Grizzlies have had you know quite a few injuring COVID issues. Um, how disappointed have was New Orleans first half of the season? I guess scale of one to ten for you, um, one being not very disappointed and 10 being extremely. You know, what's crazy to me as I answer this question. So before the season, I picked the Pelicans to be 10th, right? Yeah. That was my, that they're going to make to be the last play in team. That was my prediction. They're 11th, but you watch some of these games there. Do you feel like there are a few that they let get away? And then they have some impressive wins, right? You got Clippers, right? You got the Clippers. You beat, you beat Utah. I'm saying you got my, you got Toronto twice early, you know? So there are some quality wins there. But this is just the Detroit game, the Minnesota game. So you feel kind of frustrated. So I would say my disappointment level is probably at a seven or eight. But I look again, you know, they're so young. You know, you're building around a 20-year-old and a 23-year-old. So you're going to deal with the bumps, uh, bumps in growth on that end. You know, it's a wonky fit on the roster. You know, as, you know, outside, Lonzo had to grow into this kind of 3 and D hybrid secondary creator role that – Kind of had to be created for him, you know. The bench is inconsistent. Bledsoe's been a roller coaster. That's mostly been Valley. <laughs> to put it nicely, you know, yeah, right, <laughs> right. So it, it, it's 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 been rough from a roster construction standpoint. 
but there are some growth points, namely, um, you know, the stats don't necessarily show. I think B.I.'s definitely grown as a player offensively. Uh, Zion has been the most dominant pay for us since, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. Shaq, statistically, you know, Lonzo's growing into this, like the role I just described. So there is like some bright spots, but, you know, the bench has been a disappointment. And then the veterans, man, like I need more from like J.J. Redick. He's starting to come around a little bit, but he was you know, unreliable early on. Bledsoe, you know, it's funny. Pelican fans threw a riot over him getting all defensive team over Drew Holiday, and it looks justified. <laughs> <laughs> it looks justified. And then, you know, I thought Steven Adams started out okay, but then I think teams kind of figured out the best way to, you know, attack him and, you know, defend the Pelicans late in games with him on the floor. The stands had to pull him off late just for spacing purposes late in games. So – it's a wonky roster fit, but I think, you know, there are some bright spots. So I'll probably say a seven or eight because I feel like there are some games they absolutely let get away, and I feel like they should be firmly in that. They're a better team than Memphis to me. When all things are clicking, they are clearly a better team than Memphis, and the head-to-head is not even a – they blow Memphis out every time because of the matchup, but they should be in that 10th spot in my opinion. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I would probably say seven. I think, you know, this season, I mean – we're really like you're you can grade the pelicans um in the long term here but like i think this season is kind of a disappointment if they're not a part of that play-in tournament yeah um if they don't get up to 10th um we're, we're going to talk about the defense because there is a a lot there Ooh. but <laughs> okay so you you talk about the spacing a lot which i think is a very legitimate issue like don't get me wrong but at the same time the pelicans are six in offensive efficiency like i myself like i have a difficult time squaring those two things but like how do you how do you reconcile those two things where like it does look like a clogged toilet offense at times and yet there's only five teams who are scoring the ball better than the Pelicans right now right and this hasn't been updated in a couple weeks but if I recall the crunch time offense goes really in the tube if I call that the close games late I swear it, it really looks it really gets tough and that's where my complaint lies really I think over the you know defense is tight. It's, it's NBA teams tighten up over games. They figure out who's hot, who's not over the course of a game. They figure out what sets have been run effectively. Adjust that as the game gets down the stretch. And it's more so about here's my thing. Zion is generational. He's a generational player, so yep. he is going to be effective regardless. In my opinion, like even he's able to get by his guy and finish with whoever leaves Adams to come help majority of the time. So. He's not my concern. My concern is, you know, your second best player in Ingram. Other guys necessarily like I, I I did this research before. You know, you got three of your starters are at a career low in you know field goal attempts at the rim this season. Bledsoe's at a career low, Lonzo's at a career low, and Ingram's at a career low. And Ingram is a disturbing part for me because his ball handling has actually gotten better. I remember when he was with the Lakers, he couldn't dribble. Now he's a you know high usage pick and roll downhill counter, make the right read kind of guy. And even he's having trouble getting, you know, rim attempts. And I think those are the things that lend to the spacing issue. I agree that it's hard to, that with the way their offense is going, it's hard to, you know, combat that with a, it's a spacing complaint. But I look at how bad the offense looks late in games, and that's where, you know, my concern is. And I don't know what their record is. It was really bad last year. What's their record this year in, in you know, five points or less games? Do you, do you all know if you have that – on you, but I, don't, I can't imagine it's that much better than, than it was last year. 
Yeah, I think it might be slightly better. Um, I think they're around 500, but you're right. I mean, it hasn't, I mean, the offense in particular, the offense has been painful to watch um, late in close games. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you that like, it's, it's great that they're sixth, but like to think that, Hey, we can like have a good offense, you know, in years to come continuing to play this way, especially in playoff time. I think that's kind of misguided. I mean, I think yeah, right, you know right. what this what we've seen so far is like Zion is kind of this uh, initiator. Like, I mean, that's something real and that's great and that's something you can build on. And I think you're exactly right that Zion kind of like his ability to score the basketball efficiently kind of almost transcends like who's around him right. or, or situation. <laughs> right. Like, it's it's insane that you know he's here posting like 26 points per game, better than 60 percent shooting with the lack of space that he has on the floor. Like he's just that great and that special. Um, so, I mean, I, I definitely think you need to continue to, to add more shooting and like maybe a guy who's another creator um, next to those guys in the offense. But I don't, I think it's like misguided to think that like, yep, every, everything's fine um, right. you know, for the next couple of years moving forward. Right. And then my thing, I'm with you hundred percent. The number one issue with the bullet is the defense. I, I, I will say that like we can block about the offense, but the way they're playing defense, I think it would be – if it wasn't for the Kings this year, it would be the worst in NBA history. So, <laughs> I think that, that's the number one thing for me. I just – you know, it's a lot. The defense, I don't know where to begin. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> I, I don't really, I don't really know lot. where to begin either. I mean, they're like on the pace to give up – The clips you post, the clips you post are tragic. <laughs> it's like, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Stan Van Gundy didn't get like – I mean, he didn't get a summer at all. He didn't even get a real training camp with this team. He's not even getting practice time. So, I'll, you know, I'll give him all that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're on pace to give up the most threes per game in NBA history. They're not really stopping anybody at the rim, which is kind of, you know, that was their number one priority coming into the season. What Sam Gundy's defenses usually do well is, like, we're going to stop you from scoring the painted area. We're not going to foul. Like, we're going to at least take that away. Right. Um, Steven Adams, like, I think – I think he's a, a fine player. Um, I think, you know, his play has kind of tailed off as the season has gone on. To me, I don't see the same, like, level of mobility um, yes, you know, this yes, past month yes. as I did at the beginning of the season. But the one thing I'll say is that he's not really, like, a backline eraser. Like, I think the Pelicans' perimeter defense is so bad. They need they need to even be, like, okay on defense right now. They need a guy who's, like, a mistake eraser. And Steven Adams, I don't think, is really that. You know, he can, like worry about his guy and he's a good rebounder, but he's not going to like clean up a bunch of his teammates mistakes and his teammates have a lot of mistakes to clean up. Do you think yeah, that's it's a, just, a fair read on it? Yeah, that, that, I think that's absolutely true. Like I said, I, my, if you look, even all the Steve Nettle stuff I talk about, it's never saying he's a bad player. It's always been about fit and what he's going to add to the group. And I agree with you. He's not an eraser. And this is where you become a little disappointed with whether it's, whether it's, you know, Jackson himself or the type of team is trying to teach him to play basketball you need more from Jackson Hayes because, you know, I I criticized, you know, Griff about that draft a lot because the, you look at the five players taken after uh, Jackson Hayes, each one of them helps the Pelicans tremendously. So you need him to kind of come along and be that. He has the athleticism to be in the mobility, to be that backline eraser. Okay, you made a mistake. I'm coming to clean that up. He jumps that high. He's that He has a quick, that quick twitch to get somewhere. He has that. You just need him to understand the game a little bit better so he can actually be played. So I and I think I think the only reason he wasn't in the G League bubble because he was the eighth pick. But you need him, you need you need Jackson Hayes to come along. 
because that is where I think the the space for he he feels a need if he actually shows some growth into the that Jared Allen type that he could be. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a need of the Pelicans. Like you protect Zion with the with the athletic. He is a vertical finisher. So if you double team Lonzo, point Zion, or Lonzo can hit you with lobs on the backside. Right? Adams just doesn't have that athletic athletic capability. So you need some growth from Jackson Hayes to you know fill holes there, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't I don't mean this any disrespect to Jackson Hayes at all. Like if he ever learns how to play basketball, like look yes. out, he's gonna be he's yes. gonna be really good. I mean, <laughs> yes. to me, what it looks like is like this guy is like a top one percent athlete like guys yes. his size they just don't move like that like the way how far he cocks his arm back on some of those dunks is like is nuts it's like it looks like his shoulders are made of rubber or something but he just he just doesn't really understand what he's doing out there yet and if the game is moving the, the, the game is moving way too fast for him right now which is why i was saying g league is just not the same level of basketball players and on top of that, he can play 30 minutes a game through mistakes. Like not going to do that now because yeah. you know the team's in, in the hunt for the tenth seed. He's not going to play 30 minutes a night through you know missed pick and roll coverages, a missed box out, right falling asleep on the backside. He's not going to get to play through that at this level in the G League. He can he can do that. And I was kind of thinking that maybe with you know Hernan Gomez eating some of his minutes, reading a lot of his minutes, they take the opportunity and just let him just go down there and play 30 minutes a night for for two months, right, and then come back and we'll see how it looks. Yeah, no, I I don't think that would have been the worst idea at yeah. all. I mean, he just he just needs more reps. I feel like. I mean, he, the thing about him too is like he, you know, at the beginning of high school, he was thinking football, football, football. His dad was a tight end in the NFL for like twelve years, right. and then right. he kind of like his junior year of high school, he really decided like, all right, I'm a, I'm gonna go for this. I mean, he wasn't even a starter on his high school team until his junior year. So like, you know, he got like three years of of serious basketball before he was just thrown into the NBA. Um, it's, it's not very much. And that speaks to you. He's just, he's a 1% athlete. Like I said, you guys like, like you, like you said earlier, he's just, a lot of that is just, you know, you can't teach what he can do, the physical tools, so the height, the length, and just the mobile ability to go with that. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about your guy, Brandon Ingram, kind of my guy too. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Brandon Ingram fan. Um, look this year, the, the numbers are almost identical to last year. I mean, if you just like looked at the basketball reference page and you saw like a 23-year-old was averaging 24 game on 47, 38, 87 splits, you'd think, oh my God, like those are, those are some incredible numbers. And yet, really after those first 10, 12 games, um, I feel just like a twinge of, of disappointment. Do you think that's like misguided? Am I, am I off base there? Um, what have just your impressions been of his season so far? Uh, just, you know, like I said, I think he's made – because I remember when Zion first came back last year and he kind of dealt with this this spacing issue, it was really tough for him. Like, I was worried about how it was going to look. Like, he really struggled when Zion first came back. And this year, he's able to work around that. You know, he's able to operate in his mid-range area, right? He's able to, you know, still maintain efficiency. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not disappointed. I see growth. Uh, the playmaking has come a long way. Leads a yeah. team in potential, potential assists. He sets guys up, makes correct reads. Um, I don't love the backsliding in the ISO ball late in games. Um, I feel a lot of that is, again, is part of the, the spacing issue, I think. And the fact that there's not – you can't rely on Bledsoe to be another creator. My, my, my best – I think Ingram's best role for me is to be your second leading scorer but doesn't have the initiator role. 
and too often of a time he's initiating. And this is where, you know, Lonzo, the, you know, Zoanon, if you have, you know, labeled them so beautifully. <laughs> that was hilarious, by the way. You know, if, if, if Lonzo really was that guy, it would make B.I. that much better because B.I. can focus, okay, I can score the ball here. I don't have to worry about being, you know, a secondary point guard here because, you know, I have another point guard who can do, do that job and I can focus on scoring more. So I think it's a lot on Brandon's plate from a perimeter that's from a perimeter aspect because Bledsoe hasn't been the guy that they need him to be and you haven't gotten that jump from Nikhil and Kira just hasn't doesn't have the experience of the minutes yet. So I'm fine with where Brandon is. Uh, you want to see you know my way for him is defensively. Um, he does not do well when he gets bodied and he doesn't fight well through screens. I think that's the issue when he loses shooters a lot. He's decent in one-on-one in space. Like, he'll use his length well. But the physical aspect of defense is what costs him too much on those possessions. Like, guys get into his body. He's able to get moved off too quickly. He dies on screens. You know, those things have to get better. That's For me, that's an effort. And just, you know, getting your body in the weight room. Hopefully, as he gets older, his metabolism slows down. He's able to get up to around 215, 220, and he can handle the more of the physical pounding that it takes to be a solid defender. Yeah, man, I, I agree with a lot of that. Kind of um... – you know, my, my biggest gripe offensively is that, like you said, you know, there are times when he does get a little ball stoppy. Like, I feel like when Brandon yeah. Ingram is at his best offensively is when, you know, he's he's playing with that pace, not even necessarily up and down pace, but like side to side pace too, and just keeping the ball hopping because he does have playmaking ability. I mean, we really saw it those first 10, 12 games of the year. And we, you know, it's not like we just saw it then, like we've seen it at other points in the season. Like he's got good vision and he can throw it to you on the money it's just, I feel like it just sucks some of the air out of the offense when he gets it, when they get the ball to him and he holds it for like three, four seconds at a time. Like, just, just keep, just keep it moving. Is is kind of my thing offensively. My thing is make a quick decision. Okay, if I'm going to yeah. take it here, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to pause and have you know, okay, I got my defender and then everybody's looking over here now, right? And there's no backside movement. We're kind of watching you play on the left side of the court with the pick and roll, and it's just, you know, it's, it's easy to guard that a lot of the time. But the fact that he's been able to maintain, you know, star player efficiency, right? Not superstar, but star player efficiency yeah. with with a roster that's not necessarily geared towards showcasing him. I think that bodes well for when, you know, this next offseason, when Griff starts to be, okay, what type of player is he? What fits with him? And then you'll see another jump once he gets, you know, teammates that are more suited for his abilities along with Zion. Like I said, we both agree. Zion, whoever's out there, Zion, I'm getting to the cup. I'm going to get 25 and I'm going to shoot 60% from the field. Let's get everything else squared away. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, man, for sure. Um, I mean, I think the way you put it is, is probably that was better. It was a uh, quicker decision-making. I think the Spurs yeah. called that 0.5 mentality. A couple of teams around the league do yeah. like either, you know, pass, shoot or, or dribble within half a second of catching the ball. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what the starting lineup kind of lacks is, like, I think Lonzo has settled into his role as kind of like, I'm going to be the quarterback in transition, and then I'm going to be a knockdown three-point shooter. Yeah. I'm playing more off the ball in the half court, but they need, like, that guy who can give them a little more um, creation in the half court. Like, I think Kyra yeah. Lewis Jr. would actually make a lot of Man, sense next to, like, Lonzo and Brandon Ingram and Zion. Yeah, we just – that's always confusing. We never – we just – I think we've this may be like three minutes we've seen with the Lonzo Kira combination. And it feels like, you know, on paper, looking at how the games work, okay, that works with you got a guy who can attack off the dribble. I love Kira's in between game. Like his floaters, he, he like he reminds me of Tony Parker so much. 
like the end to end speed, maybe not super wiggly, but just that one cut and go, one move and go. He's so fast. Guys aren't going to be able to stay in front of him. And I think that driving ability with Zoe's shooting ability and even Kira running the floor because Lonzo kicking it ahead, it feels like it's such a seamless fit. So you will hopefully that, you know, you see more of that just to get a sample size where we can say, hey, this works or hey, this doesn't work. Um, yeah, I, I just, Bledsoe's just been, like Bledsoe used to be a slashing guard. And he hasn't, feel, if, if Bledsoe was the same slasher he'd been the last few years, like you deal with some of the headaches he's reached, but he's not even doing that. He's not even slashing or, you know, just initiating like he showed, like he was capable of in, in prior years. Maybe, you know, he's 30 now. Maybe there's a little bit of, you know, athleticism, you know, lost, but you just need you need more from like you need more from your veterans, man. You need more from Bledsoe. He's going to continue to start at the shooting guard position. You need more from him. It's too many games yeah. where you watch, you look at the, the the box score, and everybody in the starting lineup is like plus seven, plus eight, plus four, and then he's a minus twelve. Like, it's <laughs> yeah, just been like yeah. three or four games like that. It is like, dude, come on. Yeah, you uh, you need more from him. I mean, I feel like a part of this. I mean, I was like, I got to be honest. Like, I was pretty like you know, pro blood. So when they got him, I feel like a part of this that, that we or I may have missed is maybe it's just really hard for a veteran player to go from a contender to a team that is rebuilding. Like maybe we shouldn't just count on that player, like giving the same effort, like a hundred percent of the time. Like there's some guys who can, and, and maybe some guys who can't like this, that seems to be part of it to me. Yeah. I've said, I've made the observation. Like sometimes he doesn't look as engaged, especially defensively. Like, he may not have been, like, all – like, Giannis may have been protecting him a lot, but he's definitely showed more effort defensively in Milwaukee than what I've seen this year uh, a lot of the time. So, like I said, maybe, you know, if that's the case, you know, audition for a contender, man. Make somebody throw yeah. a pick to come and get you. Like, <laughs> look at it that way, right? The Clippers need somebody who can get to the rim. Audition for the Clippers, right? That <laughs> would be interesting, man. Yeah. yeah, they need like, – like, you just – you need more from him, man. And – like I said, they're in eleventh place, but you just—I have them in ten, so it's not too far off. But just watching the games, you feel like they've let a few slip away with just beating themselves more so than getting beat, and that's the disappointing aspect. Last thing before we get out of here, um, two-parter: What do you think the Pelicans will do with Lonzo Ball? The trade deadline, which is a little more than two weeks away, and what do you think they should do with him? Huh? What they will do, I think, if they can get a star in return. They will let Lonzo and some draft capital go if they can get a star. Uh, to me, trading him for another role player in a draft pick seems very lateral to me. Kind of kicking the can that you don't pay. I don't think you do that because, one, uh, Zion and B.I. absolutely love the guy. So trading him for another role player just to get another pick is just, you know, there's a chemistry thing you have to consider at a certain point. Um, unless Lonzo's traded for a star, I think you keep him and extend him. I know the number is not going to be too great. If he can keep up, keeps up the shooting, it's going to be you know beyond the 15, 16 that I was super comfortable with, and into that eighteen to twenty range where you start to sweat a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't want another Gary Harris situation. Although I think Alonzo is a better player than Gary Harris, and he fits better with uh, Zion and, and, and Bi. They love him. There's a chemistry aspect, but I think they should extend him. You know, there's a chemistry thing to consider. People have made fair points about maintaining flexibility if a star does become available. At the same time, I think Zion is showing that you can put a winner around him right now. So if you got a productive player, you know, you go for it. Worst come to worst, you know, Lonzo's only 16, only 23 years old. If it becomes an issue where he's not you know, producing or becomes a bad fit, you can trade him. 
you know, he will still maintain value, you know, pending, you know, God forbid an injury happens, but he will still maintain value. You can still trade him, you know. And this is why I was so up in arms. You know, there were fights about this, the Steven Adams extension. It just didn't make any sense. It's like, okay, let's see how he plays with the group first before you extend him for two years. I know you left him, but there's a fit to consider when you think about a potentially clogged court with him and Zion on your front court. So you don't just don't blindly extend him two years, $35 million. You know, I get that, you know, Adams and, and Bledsoe add up to what makes a max player's salary, but nobody's taking Adams and Bledsoe for a max player. You have to give up pretty much all your draft capital and maybe one of Nah or Kira to make it even considerate because they just aren't super productive at this point. Yeah, I think, you know, the part of the Lonzo thing you brought up is interesting is that, uh, yeah, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson have really uh, thrown their support behind him in the past right. couple of weeks. Like, it's uh, it's very noticeable. And I think, you know, more guys on the roster, too, not just them. Like, I think they've they've made it kind of clear that, like, I mean, we would love to continue to play with, with Lonzo, you know, even past March um, if it was up to us. Um, and, you know, kind of looking at the big picture, I mean – like this season has been disappointing. Even if they finish 11th, like I don't think it's the biggest deal in the world, but I think next year is when the clock really starts ticking. Like that's, that's the first year where it's like, all right, if you're not, if you're not a playoff team or if you're not really taking advantage of Zion as like this transcendent offensive talent, then there's some, there's some cause for concern there. So I think, you know, they gotta, they gotta make some moves between now and the start of, of next season to put the best possible team around Zion Williamson because, I mean, he, he could be the number one guy in a really good team we've, we've yes, seen these so, past couple yes. of months. Absolutely, absolutely, 100% agree. A lot of that is you have to understand um, two things. Zion and B.I. have to make, you know, big steps defensively in both effort and just recognizing what's going on on the court. Uh, I think Zion, Zion has more of a motor defensively than Brandon. He just has to start understanding – what's going on. This, that'll come with experience in my opinion. You know, and then B.I. just has to, he has to show more effort. You know, you can't die on screens, right? You got to understand where shooters are if you guard somebody. You got to give more resistance when guys get into you on a drive. So they both have to take it personal. I think that's what's going to be the difference. And then also think, I've heard, you know, you've alluded to this a couple of the guys I follow on Pell's Twitter. I think Lonzo's more of an off-ball defensive guy. So you got to get a junkyard dog who's going to be, okay, I'm going to be your on-the-ball defender and get in the guys. And Zion and Lonzo can be your passing lanes, you know, fire out the shooters, you know, the off-ball kind of guy. And I think that'll maximize him defensively as well. And then a rim protector. Rim protector. You know, you got, you know, our Nerlens Noel should be cheap. You know, just somebody who's going to get up and contest shots at the rim, you know. Yeah. Yeah, there, there are a lot of things uh, right. that need to improve defensively. <laughs> I feel like we could go down the list of like. Uh, and, and, and to a be lot fair, to, to be fair, you know, factoring in, you know, strength of schedule and just, you know, the travel, they have played the third hardest schedule in the league, you know, this far, the weighted, the weighted SOS that somebody posted. It's been third hardest in the league with, you know, travel, opponent, you know, days of rest all factored in. In the second half season, that's more so the, to the more down toward the league average. So. I think that'll also help the record a little bit where you're not playing, you know, on a back-to-back traveling, even if it's a lesser team, you know, right, where it's kind of tips the scale against you. So I think the schedule is going to ease up a little bit. And I'm going to, I'm going to, 
I made that mouse. That was my Western Conference hot take. They're going to get to that temp spot. They're going to get to that temp spot. Okay. Okay. You got uh, <laughs> Minnesota and Cleveland right out of the gates. That should yeah, be uh, that should be two wins, man. There's, there's got to be. be two wins. It should be like you know. To be fair, Cleveland does defend very well, so I think that game will be scrappy. But they should they have enough talent to eke that out. You know, at the end, if they play the right way. Well, Jason, I, I really appreciate you doing this, man. Um, where can people find your work? Um, like I said, you can. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, JJ Maple fifty five underscore MST on Twitter. I post a Temple of Hoop stuff there. You know, we record every Sunday. It's out. You know, Monday morning for your drive to work. You know, check us out. I appreciate all. I, I try to respond to all the feedback I get. You know, we are on the Blue Wire Network. We just joined a few weeks ago, so you know that that that's been fun. So yeah, man, just you know, follow me. Give me some feedback. You, you know, I might not love everything I tweet, but, you know, we can have some fun with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Temple of Hoop. Check it out. I uh, appreciate you guys listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.